Andy Brownell on News Talk 1340 KROC AM and 96.9 FM. This morning, joined by former Congressman Gil Gutnick. Gil, good to have you with us again. Thanks so much. Andy, it's great to be with you, always. Uh, I look forward to our opportunities to chat, that's for sure. And uh, there is an awful lot to chat about. (laughs) (laughs) The one thing I I wanted to specifically talk to you about, and actually during uh, one of the programs with Tom Ostrom on Tuesdays and Thursdays, I brought up an article that you had written recently concerning Minnesota's new law, and it is law now, that says in the, what, 13, no, 17 years, all electrical power generated and sold in the state of Minnesota will need to come from green sources. And you argue that's simply not realistic. Yeah, well, yeah. Uh, and, and, and let me just preface all that with a disclaimer. I mean, when I was in Congress, uh, I was chairman of the House Agricultural Subcommittee that had responsibility for renewable energy. After I left Congress, I was appointed by the president to a special commission, uh, which was a joint commission between the Department of Agriculture and the Department of Energy in terms of how we can develop more renewable energy. I, I'm, a, I'm an advocate for renewable energy, okay? Uh, we have in the state of Minnesota today about 5,600 uh, turning wind turbines. And to a certain degree, I, when I was in Congress, I helped a, a number of those wind farms get built. Um, so I'm not, I'm not anti-renewable energy. But let me give you some numbers that I just got yesterday. Right now we have roughly 5,600 wind turbines in the, the state of Minnesota. If we were to go, if we were to, to replace all of the hydrocarbon fuel and, quote, non-green energy uh, producers in the United States or in the state of Minnesota. If we were to replace all of our traditional sources of electricity with wind power alone, we currently have 5,600 wind turbines. We would need 380,000 turbines. Now, think about that. Okay, and that's at today's power usage. Now, on top of that, the governor and the legislature want everybody to convert to electric cars. Well, if everybody converted to electric cars, you can probably about triple that amount of electricity that would be needed. And and, and more importantly, you can triple the number of wind turbines you're going to need. So to, to even claim that we can replace hydrocarbon fuels with totally green energy in the state of Minnesota uh, it is just a farce. Um, you know, essentially what we have in the, in the state legislature right now, are the, the lunatics are running the asylum. I mean, uh, it must be, I said in my article, it must be wonderful to live in a fool's paradise where you don't have to deal with the realities, you don't have to deal with the consequences. You can just say, hey, we're going to go completely green by 2040. Uh, and that also, let, let me just go back even further I, I also believe that the climate is warming gradually. Now, I, I believe that because the, the house that our, our, our land in, on the north side of Rochester, where it was built, uh, I know from talking to geologists, a little more than 10,000 years ago, there was a sheet of ice on that land about 100 feet high, okay? So we know the planet has been 
gradually warming over the last 10,000 years. I think most of us are kind of glad that it, it, it has. In fact, part of the reason we have 10,000 lakes in the state of Minnesota is because the glaciers, uh, you know, receded and left these pockets where we could have uh, beautiful lakes here in Minnesota. So, but, but the real issue is not whether the climate is changing. We know the climate is changing. Part of the real issue is how much human activity has had to do with that. And we've seen at least three warming and cooling cycles in the Earth's history over the, the eons of time. And it, it's likely we're going to continue to see some changes. Now, whether we're in a cooling pattern right now today or whether we're in a warming pattern, I think that's a subject that, that you know, scientists are still arguing about. But, but the bottom line is human activity will have some impact. But there's so many other things, volcanoes, solar activity. There are a lot of things that, that we have no control over. And the relationship between CO2 and, and climate change is, is really not settled science, despite what some people say. And going back to the where we get our electricity from and our power from and where we will get it from in the future, I have I've long argued that they've thrown a Hail Mary on this one and they're... They're hoping that somehow the technology will be there when their deadline gets here. But you point out in your article that this is only 17 years from now. Right. <laughs> and some of the some of the things that we were talking about in the article, particularly the power transmission part of it, um, is which is part of the equation a lot of people don't consider. Um, a little bit frightening. No, more than a little bit frightening. Um, downright scary that if we were to shift to completely green sources in the wintertime with the winters that we get, if we were to have a shortfall of power generation due to two weeks of really cloudy weather with no wind, <laughs> that we would, that the answer is that we would buy our electricity on the open market. And from where? Yeah. But somewhere they're going to have to build 380,000 more turbines just to, to and, 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 and in terms of full disclosure, I'm actually a partner in a, in a wind project that we're trying to build, uh, out in Lake Michigan. It would be a beautiful project and, and I think it probably ultimately will happen. So again, I am not against green power. I'm not against wind power. Um, but, and I think it has a place in the, in the total energy lexicon, if you will. But at the end of the day, uh, the idea that we can completely get off hydrocarbon fuels is just nonsense. And, and let me just add one other thing, and I want to come back to the transmission thing, because, you know, a lot of the same people who are advocating for a completely green energy future are the same people who will fight tooth and nail uh, every time somebody wants to build a new power line. And, and more importantly... Now, I, I, I do stand corrected, and I knew the answer to this, and I put it in my article, and I was wrong, <clears throat> that these new high-power transmission lines are going to use an enormous amount of copper. That's not true. But your regular transmission lines and a lot of your other electrical, well, for example, in, in every uh, wind turbine, uh, I've got to get the exact number, but it, it, I think it's about, in today's terms, about a ton of copper has to be used in the wiring to make it a generator for these very large uh, turbines. Well, these are the same people who don't want them to develop a copper mine in northern Minnesota. So you can't you can't mine copper, uh, you can't build power lines. Oh, but by the way, we're going to go completely green. Now, isn't that just wonderful? 
Um, so all of this is just, as I, as they say, the, 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 uh, the comedy has become farce at, at the Minnesota State Capitol. And uh, looking at the climate issue, what I'm getting gathering from you were saying is regards to the science of this that you believe, and I don't let me put words in your mouth, that this has become more of a ideological political issue than a scientific issue. <laughs> you said it better than I could have. I mean, at, at some point, you just have to recognize: yes, there are things we can do to, to become a, to, to be cleaner, if you will. Okay, as it relates to the environment, and I think most of us, you know, most of us who are Christians believe that you know we were given this garden and we're expected to tend the garden and we're expected to do it in a responsible way. Uh, and, and and so most of us. You know, to paraphrase what John Kennedy said many, many years ago, you know, we all inhabit the same small planet, we all breathe the same air, and we all cherish our children's future. And I might add parenthetically, we're all environmentalists, okay? But but some of us are realists, and we understand that there are limits of what we can do, and more importantly, there are limits of science. You know, the same scientists who are now telling us that the Earth is going to fry are the same are many of the same scientists who told us 25 years ago that we were going into an ice age. Well, I, they were wrong then. I think they're wrong now. And and, and we've seen this bastardization of science. And, and nowhere clear in the way we dealt with COVID, okay, where, you know, if you even suggested that maybe these, you know, uh, government shutdowns and, and shutdowns of industries and, and making people wear masks, you know, anybody who suggested that maybe that's not right, uh, they were they were banned from the village. They were taken off Twitter. And yet now we realize, yeah, maybe they were right. You know, the vaccines were not as effective as they were. We were led to believe. And that wearing masks seemed to have almost no impact. And that closing schools and closing businesses uh, really didn't matter. I mean, it was, the pandemic was going to run its course pretty much no matter what we did. Uh, I'm a believer in vaccines. I, I got vaccinated. But, but at the same time, I, I think we've seen that scientists, a lot of the people who claim to be the leaders of the scientific community are not as, they're not as scientific as they should be. The scientific method really is about questioning uh, whatever the postulate is. And we, we've gotten into this morass where we now have science by consensus. Science was never supposed to be a consensus. I mean, it's, it's nonsense to say it's a consensus. So those are just some of my thoughts. As a former member of the science committee, as, as someone who uh, who really has, who does believe in, you know, that, that we need a, a balance of, of different kinds of energy, what we really need in this country more than anything else is an abundance of affordable energy. And the people who benefit the most from affordable, abundant energy are poor people, okay? If you live in a 17-bedroom mansion out on uh, Cape Cod, you know, whether your electric bill goes up 10% or 20% or 30% is not going to break you, okay? It's not going to change your vacation plans. But if, if you're a, a family, you know, struggling to get by with four kids and and, you know, and trying to make the house payment and the car payment and all everything else, when those electric bills start going up and up and up, those are the people who get hurt. 
We have to take a break already, Gil. My goodness. <laughs> we'll, we'll come back in just a moment with more of former Congressman Gil Gutnick this morning on Rochester Today. It's News Talk 1340, KROC AM and 96.9 FM. It's Jesse Kelly here. I can't afford to lose 30%. I'm Andy Brownell. News Talk 1340, KROC AM and 96.9 FM, along with former Congressman Gil Gutnick. Um, we talked a little bit about it during the previous segment before the break, Gil. But I guess the best way to determine is I think that you used it as the politicization of science. And now we often hear follow the science as a, as a rallying call for one side or the other. And more and more, (laughs) my contention is getting awfully confusing for the common lay person to try to keep up with this because it isn't, they're not scientists. So they rely on these, quote-unquote experts to provide them with guidance and we're hitting you know we many years ago it began you know this food was bad for you this food is good for you doing this is bad for you doing this and oftentimes they conflicted and we're hearing that more and more when it comes to covid or whatever other issue climate change whatever it may be um depending well, on which side of the aisle you're on well, and, and more importantly, so much of the, the debate is now controlled by the national media. I mean, uh, I, there's nothing wrong with one scientist saying something and another scientist saying something else. I, I think that's healthy for both science and our democracy. What is not healthy is where when a group of scientists sort of get together and they decide that they're the consensus and anybody who disagrees with them has to be, you know, banished from the village. And and where it really becomes problematic, and, and the government, the federal government, and I was on the science committee, and I was one who believed that there, there was a role for the federal government, the U.S. taxpayers, uh, to help fund basic research. Um, basic research is research that is expensive to do and may or may not result in anything worthwhile, okay? That's the way I look at basic research. Advanced research is taking some of the things you learn in basic research and seeing if it can be brought to some practical use. Okay, so the federal government and, and, and we've done a lot of amazing things with federal research dollars. I mean, we, we have learned an enormous amount that ultimately resulted in, in better drugs or, 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 you know, different pesticides. All kinds of different things have resulted from uh, better genetics in, in the corn we produce and so forth. A lot of it was funded by the government, a lot of the basic research. So basic research is a good thing. The problem is when, you, when, when some leading scientists, leading scientists, and some of the people at the heads of some of our scientific organizations have become so political and, and more importantly, perhaps paranoid, that they don't want to hear from any uh, anyone who might have a, a contrary point of view. And and that destroys, I think it destroys the basic research, but it destroys the scientific method. And in many respects, it, the rest of us begin to lose any kind of confidence that we have in these so-called scientists. And that's not a good thing either. So I think it's a lose, lose, lose proposition. It's a lose for our democracy. It's a lose for free speech. And ultimately, it's a lose for the, for what we call science. And, and, and so we have to get back to a situation, whether you believe one way on climate change or you have a contrary view, 
you ought to have equal access to federal research dollars. But right now, we're spending over $4 billion a year on climate research. 99% of it is going to scientists who truly believe that the, you know, we're, that the planet is dramatically warming and that human activity is the cause of it, uh, neither of which is really proven yet. And yet there are scientists, lots of scientists on the other side, who don't believe that. Uh, so all of this, I think, it is something that, that does come to a head in terms of how Congress deals with basic research funded by the federal government. They've got to be much more even-handed. They've got to demand that we have diversity among the scientific community and that the, the various science departments and, and scientists have equal access to some of those research dollars. The stifling of debate, not just in the scientific community, but overall, has been a trend that I've been watching now for well over a decade. That It seems as if, if you are the contrarian now, that rather than debate your idea and try to defeat the contrarian point of view with evidence or more eloquent debate, it is the strategy of have this person banished or shut down. And you're, you're saying this is what's happening in the scientific world as well. Yeah, it's but yeah, science is just one element of that. Uh, yeah, it's happening throughout the political spectrum. You know, if, if you happen to believe in traditional marriage, for example, you can lose your job. Think about that. I mean, that's despotism. That, that, I mean, you know, and, and I go back to something else. One of my favorite expressions, I think it's from Thomas Jefferson. He said, Give the people the truth and the republic will be saved. Okay? But right now what you see is this cabal of our most of our national media and our social media, they control what is truth. Okay? In other words, they determine what you get to see, what you... I mean, for example, let, let's talk... We can we come back to the break, we can talk about what's going on in Ukraine. If you ask the average American on the street... Why did Putin invade Ukraine? They can't answer that question. And that's incredibly sad. Because, you know, Putin may be a bad guy. In fact, I think he is a bad guy. But he had a reason. And we ought to know that reason because at, at the heart of that is, is, is why there's conflict going on. And the American people have asked, been asked, well, they haven't been asked, they've been forced to fund this war to the tune of $113 billion as of today. And we don't even know why the war's going on. All right, let's talk about that after the break. Let's do it. Look forward to it. We'll do a news break. We'll come back with more. of Former Congressman Gil Gutnick this morning on Rochester Today. News Talk 1340, AROC AM and 96.9 FM. Former Congressman Gil Gutnick with us this morning. I'm Andy Brownell. News Talk 1340, KROC AM and 96.9 FM. Uh, Gil, before the break... You brought up the war in Ukraine, and specifically the reasons behind the war in Ukraine. I think I know what you're going to bring up, but I'm going to let you go to the podium first and maybe uh, give us a little history of what is happening in that part of the world and what led to the what's turned into the uh, the worst uh, political violence that we've seen in Europe since the end of the World War II. You have. And it, and it, a death what, toll in the hundreds of thousands now. Yeah, it, I, I can't remember who it was that said it, that those who refuse to learn from history are doomed to repeat it. 
And if you look at all great wars, they generally started out as relatively innocent skirmishes. Okay, when the Confederates fired on Fort Sumter in South Carolina, uh, there was a uh, uh, there was uh, a member of the Congress I can't remember his name right now who went down to the House floor and made a speech and predicted that he would be able to wipe up with one handkerchief all the blood that would be spilled in putting down this insurrection. He was wrong. Okay. When Duke Ferdinand was shot on a bridge in Sarajevo, no one would have predicted World War One. okay? Wars generally, big wars, begin almost by accident. And many times throughout the war, people really don't understand. Too many civilians are kept in the dark about what's really going on and why the, the real reasons for the war. Okay, and I think that right now we are on the, the we are on a track that could lead to World War Three. I mean, you've seen China and and Russia and even Iran beginning to say we're going to get involved in supplying arms and whatever uh, to support the the Russian effort in Ukraine. Uh, you've seen other the United States and a few of its allies. I mean, it's interesting to see how much real support or non-support is coming from our, quote, European allies for this effort. Um, and, and so a whole lot of things are happening, and Americans are being kept in the dark. And I think that that is incredibly infor- unfortunate, because as we continue to press, I mean, there are two really important questions that everyone needs to ask and, and frankly, should demand answers to why this war got started, how it got started, and how it's going to end. I mean, what is it that we expect to happen? Do we really believe that Ukraine is going to defeat Russia? I mean, Russia is like five times bigger. they got five times more army. They, they've got nuclear weapons. Ukraine doesn't. They, they've got pretty advanced weapons. If it weren't for America's weapons, Ukraine would have been defeated already. All right? And, and so in some respects, some people can argue, well, good, you know. But all we can really do is prolong this, because ultimately the Russians believe that they cannot allow Ukraine to join NATO. They cannot permit American and European missiles to be based 100 miles from Moscow, any more than we could allow Russian missiles to be based in Havana, Cuba. Okay, it's exactly the same kind of circumstance. And. Putin felt strongly enough that he was willing to go to war over this, okay? And now that he's in it, he's not going to back down. If he backs down, his entire government starts to collapse, okay? And so he's he's in it up to his neck, and he can't get out. The only way, in my opinion, that, that the whole thing can end is with some kind of a, a, a peace agreement. And that peace agreement will probably... And this is one thing that uh, the, the Biden administration refuses to even acknowledge, and that is significant parts of eastern Ukraine, if, if, they, if they were allowed to have a plebiscite or a vote, they would vote to join with Russia. I mean, they speak Russian. They're Eastern Orthodox. They, 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 they feel much more Russian than they do Ukrainian, okay? At some point, we have to acknowledge that. And, and so all of this that's going, and they, we, we also have to acknowledge 
that putting American missiles in Europe in Ukraine is a bad idea. Okay, it does not bring about stability. Uh, in many respects, we have le- we have very little to fear from the Russians invading the United States uh, or even the Russians invading Poland. I mean, there, there are certain things. You see, the Russians see Ukraine. Historically, Ukraine was part of Russia. It was part of the greater Russian Empire. In fact, the, the Tsar had, I think, his one of his palaces in Kiev. Okay, so there are just a lot of things that I think most Americans don't know. And I go back to that expression: give the people the truth, and the republic will be saved. Just let the American people understand what the, the history of this region and, and how this war got started, and ultimately. If they know that, they'll begin to figure that the only way that this thing can ever end is in a, in a peace settlement that both sides can live with. Now, it may well be Zelensky doesn't want to live with it, but Zelensky, we don't know how much of that $113 billion he and a lot of his cronies have stashed away in Swiss banks, okay? Uh, you know, to, to believe that once Zelensky became the leader of Ukraine, that all corruption in Ukraine stopped is nonsense, okay? And that's my view. And, and so I just think that we have to have an honest and serious debate in the United States before we throw any more good money after bad. We've seen in the past that our military leaders say, well, you know, if we just had another $5 billion dollars, you know, we saw that in, in Afghanistan. We saw it in Iraq. We've seen it in Vietnam. You know, if we just had another $10 billion, if we just had another $20 billion, then we could, you know, do this and do that. Ultimately, the, 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 the conflict itself has to be won or lost by the participants. You cannot, what we learned, in, we should have learned in Afghanistan, is that you cannot ensure democracy for people who will not fight for it themselves. As far as the ongoing war and our shipments of military weaponry to the Ukrainians, are you as concerned about the drawdown of our warehouses or stores of these weapons, the HIMARS, the Javelin missiles, the Stingers, all this stuff that we have built up stockpiles of in case of a conflict with either Russia, the Chinese, the North Koreans, the Iranians. Are you at all concerned about those stockpiles being depleted as have been reported by the Wall Street Journal and other and other publications? Well, yeah. I mean, the, the truth of the matter is, you know, I suspect the Chinese and, and perhaps even the little madman in North Korea are keeping track of just how many of, of these advanced weapons we've already expended. And uh, they've probably done their own calculation of what it's, what, you know, Maybe right now would be a good time for the North Koreans to uh, cause trouble with South Korea and, and for, you know, the, the uh, communist Chinese to make their move on Taiwan. We don't know what's going on, but we, we understand every time you change this calculus, when you change this balance, at some point it, it invites people to, to, to miscalculate. Again, going back to how wars start, there almost always somebody makes a miscalculation. You know, we weren't able to wipe up with one handkerchief all the blood that was spilled in in the Civil War. I mean, at the end of the war, over 10 million Americans had lost their lives, most of them through, uh, you know, disease and and, and malnutrition. Uh, But, uh, you know, wars have huge consequences, and not just financially. They they change lives. They don't just change 
the, the borders of countries, but they, they change uh, lives forever. And uh, whether you like it or not, something like 100,000 Ukrainians have already lost their lives in this war, okay? This proxy war between the United States and Russia. Um, so the people who are really paying the price are average Ukrainians and average Russians, let's be honest. Uh, and at some point, somebody's got to step in and be the adult and say, we've got to negotiate a peace here. Um, this is not, this is crazy. Uh, why, why is it that important that Ukraine join NATO? Why is it so important that we have missiles based in Ukraine? I mean, why? So going back to the miscalculation, we have to take a break in a minute. But um, do you think Ukraine seriously had a chance at membership in NATO prior to this? Or do you think the actions by Putin has created a situation where it becomes likely that Ukraine becomes a member of NATO? I know there have been discussions of it before. The Ukrainians, some of them, wanted NATO or EU membership, but I don't know if it had been seriously discussed. Well, the, the, the party that was strongly pushing for them to become members of NATO was the United States, and particularly this administration. And, 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 and it may well be uh, because of this president and his son's close relationship with certain high-ranking officials in Ukraine, okay, I, I strongly, I mean, my suspicion is part of the reason we have invested $113 billion of our grandchildren's money in Ukraine is because of these special relationships and perhaps even some people who might have some evidence that they're sitting on that could be very, very incriminating to the Biden family. Uh, so they're saying, hey, you got to help us or we're going to spill some beans and you're not going to like what we have to spill. And, and so that's where I get into how much of this money is just going into secret bank accounts, whether it's in Switzerland or somewhere else. All right. We're talking with former Congressman Gil Gutnick this morning on Rochester Today. Back in a moment on News Talk 1340, KROC AM and 96.9 FM. Some days I feel so down. I can On Rochester Today, I'm Andy Brownell, News Talk 1340, KROC AM and 96.9 FM. And uh, we... Kind of touched on what's happening in St. Paul when we talked about the energy situation earlier, but that's just one of the issues um, that is being dealt with by the new, I guess, what the Democrats themselves call the trifecta. Now that they have the state legislature and the governor's mansion all at once, um, a lot of things have <laughs> advanced all the way to the governor's desk very quickly. Um some Minnesotans cheering, others dismayed. I'm going to ask you, Gil, what's your take on what's happening uh, with the state legislature uh, this session and, uh, and how, what you think about uh, the outcome of what will uh, be at the end of this when we get to the end of the session? Where do you think we're going to be at as this estate? Well, my observation would be that uh, the teachers have gone on strike and the principal has gone home and the third graders are running the school. I mean, it's, it is, I mean it, to me, it, uh, I think it's almost funny, okay? I, I laugh sometimes at what the bills being introduced, but more importantly, not just bills being introduced, but they're actually quickly going through the legislature and quickly being signed, as you said, by the governor. And, 
and without any uh, without any adult supervision. Worse than that, and and this is one of the things I, I love being a member of the legislature, and it was a much more reflective body, and and, and maybe perhaps even less partisan than, than it is today. Uh, I remember uh, for, I remember clearly uh, when uh, Paul Ogren Paul Ogren was the chairman, a Democrat, and a fairly liberal Democrat, was chairman of the House Tax Committee. I was on the Tax Committee at the time in the legislature. And Phyllis Kahn came in, and and I always liked Phyllis. I mean, but she was a liberal. She was a real liberal. I mean, and, uh, and, and in some respects, I admired her for it because you knew where she came from. But she brought in this kind of goofy proposal. And Paul Anders Ogren, the chairman, let her present her bill. And then at the end of her presentation, he said, Phyllis, he said, I agree to allow you a hearing on this bill, but I am not going to allow this bill to go out of committee. The committee is adjourned. <laughs> and that was it. <laughs> he just said, that's it. We're, you know, you got your hearing, and we're not going to move forward with this goofy idea. But today, those goofy ideas move right through. I mean, uh, there's no adults in charge, and, and whether we're talking about energy, uh, I understand there's a bill introduced uh, recently where um, crime rates have gone up so high on the, on the light rail system. It's like, you know, crimes, like, you know, minor petty theft and, and whatever, those kind of crimes on, on the light rail system are up 800%. So the answer of one of the DFL legislators is to put social workers on the trains. <laughs> and, I, you know, if I were there, I would be saying, let's do it, okay? And let's make sure they all have wallets and or purses. And let's see how long they keep their wallets and purses. These social workers who are trying to, uh, trying to change the way these hardened criminals feel about their petty theft and abuse of people on the on the light rail. Well, I've been, you know, I don't even know how to get into Are we seeing the Californication of Minnesota? Oh, absolutely. As a matter of fact, I think they're trying to get ahead of California. Um, and, and how this all plays out in the long run, I don't know. I mean, I, I have always believed that you see, the Greeks did not write history books because they said, you know, history is like a pendulum. It, it swings back and forth. I mean, and, and, and they use the examples that you'll have droughts and then you'll have floods. You'll have war and then you'll have peace. And, and they understood that there was a certain ebb and flow to history. And, and I suspect that in the next election, um, the voters may say, we need to send a few adults back to St. Paul. And I, 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 I strongly suspect if the Republicans run some pretty good candidates, uh, you might see a different makeup of the legislature after the next uh, election. And I'm not going to discount that prediction, but some of the legislation that will likely be approved this session and be signed into law will carry with it, as I was taught a long time ago when uh, studying the legislature and politics tales, funding tales that will affect oh. our, our budget for the next 10 years or more. Yeah, I mean, they're building into the budget expenses that yeah, will have to be paid, okay? They just have to be paid. And once you build something into the budget, 
uh, I think it was Mark Twain who said, there's nothing so permanent as a temporary government program. I mean, once a, once a government program or steady program of any kind takes root, it is almost impossible to pull it out by the roots. So you are correct. Uh, the taxpayers of Minnesota, particularly those making more than $75,000, are going to pay a huge bill long-term for all the nonsense that's going on at the state capitol. All right, Gil. Um, I can't believe we're already out of time for the hour, but <laughs> I certainly appreciate you coming in and uh, getting together again. We don't get to do this often enough, so again, thank you. Well, as a great philosopher, Johnny Cash said, everything changes as well as should. The bad ain't forever, and the good ain't for good. <laughs> a great way to part. Thank you. Former Jesus. Congressman Gil Goodnick this morning on Rochester Today. News Talk 1340, KROC AM and 96.9 FM. AgriAmerica.com is your 